Our second reading from God's Word this morning is from the book of Jonah, uh, beginning at chapter 1 with the last verse of that. It's on page 967 of most versions of the Pew Bible, tucked between Obadiah and Micah. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to the worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Praise be to God for his word. Thanks, Russell. It would be great if you could keep your Bible open. Uh, We'll be constantly looking into the text and uh, thinking about the text, so it'd be great if you could keep it open in front of you so we can follow along. And you can also find an outline for the sermon inside your uh, sermon notes, so you can also uh, follow along there if that would be helpful. Uh, I'm going to begin by praying and then we'll make a start, so let's pray. Lord, we know that all of Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And so we ask that as we come before your Word now, You might do that. You might use it for our building up, for our encouraging, for our challenging and for our shaping. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, one of the things that I enjoy doing are kind of mind puzzles or brain teasers or riddles and that kind of thing. I love the challenge of them. I love looking at a question and trying to figure out what the answer is. I love that kind of battle of wills between you and the person who made them. I just love the challenge of it. And so what I thought I'd do is just give you a few of the kind of questions or brain teasers that I like doing. Um, They're nice, easy ones for you, but let's see how you go at it. So first one is, what belongs to you, but other people use it more than you? So I love these kind of, you have to think and you have to think, how does it work, how does it work? So anyone know what the answer is? The answer is your name. Your name belongs to you but other people use your name more than you use it. So, um, so that's one. What about this one? The more you take, the more you leave behind. What am I? And so I love that kind of contrast that it's got. The more you take, the more you leave behind. And so the answer is, of course, footsteps. The more footsteps you take, the more you walk along, the more footsteps you leave behind. And just one final one. You see a boat filled with people It is not sunk. But when you look again, you don't see a single person on the boat. Why? 
And so again, you've got to try and bend your mind. You've got to figure out what's going on here. How is that possible? It hasn't sunk, but you don't see a single person. Know what the answer is? The answer is all the people were married. So you don't see a single person. I put that one up there for John. I knew he'd love the fact that, uh, that they weren't single. So um, I love those kinds of brain teasers, though, where you're matching wits with someone and the question, you've got this problem or you've got a challenge, and there's only one solution. Because, of course, for the best of these kinds of riddles and brain teasers, the best of them, they might seem like there's lots of different answers that will work, but in reality, there's only one answer. You've got the problem, and there's only one solution to it, only one answer that actually solves it. And so I love them, and I was, I was thinking about this throughout the weekend. I think that in some ways, life is a little bit like these kinds of questions. Life is a little bit like a brain teaser. See, we've got a big problem in life. There's a big problem, and we all need to deal with it. But there's only one solution to it. There's only one solution to that. And so our problem is that we're at war with God. Our problem is that we've rejected God, we've turned our back on God, and we're walking away from God. We're too focused on ourselves and not focused enough on God. In short, our problem is that we're sinking in sin. That's the problem that we're all facing. That's the question that we need to solve. That's the issue we're dealing with. And just like a brain tease, there's only one solution that will actually solve it. When we look at it initially, we might think that there's a few different answers that will work. But in reality, there's only one solution that actually solves it. And that is repentance. We need to repent and turn back to God, come back before God. Um, if we do, we'll be raised up in repentance. See, that's the problem we're dealing with in life, and that's the solution, the only solution, the only way to get out of it. And in a sense, when we look at Jonah chapter 2, what we see is this situation acted out. This situation played out in Jonah's life. Because, of course, last week in chapter 1, we saw that God tells Jonah, you've got to go to the Ninevites and you've got to preach to them. But Jonah doesn't like this, and so he rebels against God. He flees from God. God sends a storm to stop him. He gets chucked into the ocean. And now, because of his sin, because of his rebellion against God, he's sinking. He's sinking down, down, down because of his sin. And so, as he's sinking, he then realizes that he needs to repent. And so he repents and he's raised up in repentance. And so that's the structure we see as we look through Jonah 2. And what it is, is an, almost an acted out situation of what we're going through in life as well. And so to begin with, Jonah's sinking in sin. At the end of our passage last week, he's chucked into the water and he's sinking. He's expecting to die in this kind of stormy abyss. And it makes sense because Jonah likely couldn't swim uh, most people couldn't swim at those times. He's in the middle of the water, hundreds of meters offshore, potentially more. And so, of course, he's kind of expecting to die. He's expecting to drown. He's sinking down. But God's got other plans. God saves him in perhaps the most unexpected way possible. I mean, we all know the story of Jonah. God sends a fish. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Now, of course, this is what Jonah, the book of Jonah, is known for, this giant fish that swallows Jonah. But it's actually something that divides people a lot. Because what you see is lots of people actually find this very difficult to believe. They find it very difficult to believe that a giant fish could swallow someone and they'd survive. 
And if they somehow did survive the actual kind of swallowing process, then they certainly couldn't survive inside the stomach for a couple of days. They'd either run out of air or the acid inside, or the stomach acid inside, the fish would start to kind of eat away at them and digest them. And so they look at this and they say, that just doesn't happen, that's impossible. And so they disregard the whole book of Jonah and often they would disregard the whole Bible. I'd like to say, if we think about it, it's not actually that difficult to believe. Because if God is God, that is, He's the creator of everything, He made everything, He's outside of time and space, then surely it's not that hard to believe that He could act in an unusual way, He could act in a miraculous way. I mean, think about it, the Bible's filled with all sorts of miracles. The Bible's filled with God miracles, like God stopping the sun in the sky so His army can fight. The Bible has the story of the miracle where God parts the sea so that his people can walk through and then closes it again over his enemies. The Bible tells the story of the miracle where God gave a child to a hundred-year-old barren couple and made them the father-mother of nation beyond size. See, the Bible's filled with all sorts of unexpected and miraculous things happening. And if God is the maker of all things, if God is outside of time and space then of course it's not that hard to believe that he could act in a way that doesn't normally happen. He could do something that doesn't normally happen. And so sure, it doesn't normally happen that a person can get swallowed by a fish and survive in their stomach for a few days. Of course it doesn't normally happen. But if God is God and he's outside of time and space, then surely he can make it happen if he wants. And so I think if we believe that God exists and God is God, then it's not that difficult to believe. So the only way you can disregard the miracle of Jonah is if we don't believe God exists. If God does exist, and if we believe God does exist, then we have to believe that this is what happened. And so even though people don't normally get swallowed by fish and people don't normally survive in their stomach, this is what happened. God can and does do miracles. And so God sends this fish to swallow Jonah He's inside the stomach and it might seem like good news. Seems like good news. Yeah, he survived. He's surviving. He's not drowning in the water. But while on one hand it seems like good news, on another hand, this is terrible news because Jonah is now trapped inside the belly of a fish as it swims deeper and deeper and deeper, hundreds of meters underwater, trapped with no way to get out. He's far from help and from hope. Jonah's stuck sinking in sin. And while he is, he finally does what we've been waiting for him to do all along. Did you notice what Jonah does now? He prays, he calls out to God, he turns back to God. He confesses his sin. Have a look at verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Jonah prays, he comes before God, he calls out to God. And did you notice the term it uses for God there? It uses the term the Lord, his God. There's that personal touch to it. Jonah's acknowledging, this is my God, this is the God I followed. The whole of chapter 1, this was absent. And yet now we see Jonah seems to have turned a corner, he seems to have realised. And so as he's sinking in sin, he calls out to God and God answers. Have a look at verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depth of the grave, I cried, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Out of his distress, he calls out 
to God. Now, it makes sense. This is quite a distressing situation. I mean, imagine it. You're stuck inside a fish. It'll be stinky. It'll be smelly. It'll be cramped. Imagine there's kind of chunks of partially digested food floating around, around about you. Imagine the smell. This would be a horrifying thing. And it's not even to kind of take into account that this is going deeper and deeper out under the water, the further away from the air, to the further and further away from the air. See, that's why Jonah says he kind of calls out from death's doorstep. He knows this is it. He's utterly alone. He's utterly helpless. He's utterly powerless. He's sinking in sin. Sinking deep and deeper. Third verse. You hurled me into the depth, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. He's sinking deeper into this unknown ocean. I mean, for us here in Australia, we love the beach, we love the water, we love the ocean, and so it's difficult to picture what a fearful kind of thing it is. We love surfing and swimming, but go and have a chat to someone who can't swim and see what they think of the ocean. See what they'd feel about even going on a boat over the ocean if they can't swim. If you can't swim, the ocean is a fearful, dangerous place. And it's quite an unknown place. So again, we kind of think that we know the ocean, but do you know how much, what percentage of the ocean we've explored if you include the depth, not just the top? We've only explored 20% of it. 20% of the ocean, and that's nowadays. So imagine back then how much less they'd explored. The ocean is this vast unknown filled with depth that we've never even explored, that no human has set their eyes on. And this is what Jonah's sinking into. He's sinking into this vast unknown, surrounded by sharks and stingrays and octopus and all sorts of deadly animals just waiting outside the fish, waiting to, put, to take him down into death. Jonah's sinking in sin, sinking towards certain death. And so he prays. He knows there's nothing else he can do. So he prays. He turns to God. And that's what the temple language is about. Have a look at verse 4. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. So the temple, it's using kind of picture language. The temple was seen as an image where God lives. And so Jonah's saying, he will turn his face back to God. He will come back to God. Because remember, all of last chapter, he's fleeing from God. He's turning away from God. He's ignoring God. And now he repents. He realizes that God's the one in control. And he turns back to God. He acknowledges God. And he certainly needs to because he's about to lose his life. Have a look at verses 5 and 6. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountain. I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. It's like the water's kind of clutching at him. The seaweed are like fingers trying to wrap themselves around him. I pull him down and down towards death, down and down further into the water. To be stuck there if the mountains fall over the top of him, stuck for eternity. See, Jonah has sunk in sin and he's about to die and he realizes it. This is the situation that Jonah finds himself in, a situation that only has one way out because all other worldly wisdom fails here. Because what do people usually say to us when we're going through tough times? Well, one thing they'll say is, you just need to think positively. Just be positive and things will turn out well. But how's that going to help Jonah here? Being positive inside a fish, stuck hundreds of metres under the water, being positive won't do anything. 
all that will happen is he will die positive. He'll die with a smile on his face. Being positive can't get him out. Or what about when people say, just believe in yourself? If you just believe in yourself, then everything will turn out well. But that won't help Jonah here. It won't get him out of this mess. In fact, you can make the case that believing in himself too much and God too little was what got him here in the first place. He believed in what he wanted. He believed in himself and ignored God. That's what got him here and it won't get him out. See, no worldly wisdom can help Jonah here. He's stuck, sinking in sin, and there's only one way out. And what we find is that this is the same situation that we're in. Now, it might not seem it because we're obviously not stuck inside fish and we're not stuck hundreds of metres under the water. But in a sense, we're still in the same situation because we're still sinking in sin like Jonah. Sin's still clutching at us, dragging us down, pulling us down towards certain death. Because we're just like Jonah. Just like Jonah, we're often selfish. Just like Jonah, we often think too highly of ourselves and too lowly of others. Just like Jonah, we so often ignore God and chase after our own paths, our own hopes, our own dreams, instead of what God wants. We ignore God, just like Jonah. See, just like Jonah, we're also sinking in sin. And just like Jonah, worldly wisdom can't get us out. Being positive might help for a little bit. We might not feel as weighed down by the sin. But in the end, what happens when we're still positive, we're feeling positive and we still sin? When we're still thoughtless to others, when we still ignore God? In the end, it can't solve it. Believing in ourselves can't solve it either. Believing in ourselves and thinking that if we just try harder, because think of how many people we know that believe in themselves so highly and yet are some of the worst people we know. So often, believing in oneself leads to an even more selfish person, an even less thoughtful person. See, just like Jonah, we're stuck, sinking in sin, and just like Jonah, worldly wisdom can't help. Just like Jonah, there's only one solution, repentance. Because that's the only solution, both for Jonah and for ourselves. For Jonah, it's the only way he's going to get out of this fish, to repent, to come back before God and ask for forgiveness and rescue in God's arms. See, while Jonah's sinking in sin, he's raised up in repentance. He calls out to God and God hears him and God lifts him up. Verse 6, that you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God, while he's sinking down about to lose his life forever, about to be lost in the bottom of the ocean. God brings him up. He saves him. And what's the key? Why did God do it? Well, have a look at verse 7. It's because of Jonah's prayer. Verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He remembers God. He prays to God. Remember, all of last chapter, Jonah doesn't pray. The captain of the boat is begging him to, to pray, come before God, ask God to help us. And Jonah refuses to. He'd rather be chucked into the ocean instead. And yet now he comes back before God into God's presence and he prays. And you notice what he says as he does? He acknowledges God and that only in God can one find loving grace. Have a look at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. 
Now, uh, this is one of the few times you get to enjoy knowing the original language. So um, I spent four years at Bible college learning Hebrew, so I'm going to flex a little bit of Hebrew uh, here for you just to make sure that you know that I know it. Um, but the word here it uses in the English is grace, but it's actually, it doesn't capture it enough. The word here is the Hebrew word chesed, which is God's special covenant love, the special love that God has for his people that's like a father loving their children. It's like a husband loving their wife. This is this special love that God has. And so it's much stronger than grace. Grace is good, but it's even stronger. And Joan acknowledges that only in God can this special love be found. Only in God can one get this relationship, this salvation, this caring love. And he says, chasing after anything other than God will lose it. Chasing after anything other than God will abandon our hope of this special love. And then his prayer reaches its climax in verse 9. Have a look. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. This is the climax. This is what we've been waiting for, for the whole prayer. And it finally gets there. Here we see the heart of Jonah's repentance. He cries out with thanksgiving, a song of thanksgiving, saying he'll sacrifice to God. He'll do what he's promised. Because remember last chapter, he constantly refuses to do what God's asking. He's a prophet of God and he's promised to follow God. And yet he constantly refused. Yet now he says, I'll do it. He's repented. He's changed his mind. He says, I'll follow you, God. And why does he change? Well, because he realizes salvation belongs to God. Salvation comes from God. See, again, last chapter, he's unhappy. He doesn't want the Ninevites saved. He thinks he gets to decide who hears God's message and who doesn't. In a sense, he's acting like salvation comes from him. Salvation belongs to him. And yet now he acknowledges, no, I was wrong. Salvation belongs to God. Salvation comes from God. If God wants the Ninevites to be saved, then they'll be saved. And so he says, God, I'll do it. I'll follow you and I'll go and I'll preach. It's God's to give. Salvation belongs to God. And so Jonah acknowledges this. And so he's raised up in repentance. And then we get verse 10. He's vomited up on the beach. And what it does is forms this nice bookend to the section. In chapter 1, verse 17, Jonah is swallowed and brought down into the water. And then here at the end of the chapter, he's vomited up onto dry land, able to go and follow God and live. He's raised up in repentance See, the whole chapter shows us repentance is key. It's the only key, the only solution. Nothing else will get Jonah out. Being positive won't get him out. Religious zeal won't get him out. I mean, he already had religious zeal and he's still down there. His family background can't get him out. His good works can't get him out. Nothing can get him out of the belly of the fish, out of this sinking in sin, except for repentance. Turning back to God and admitting his sin, turning to God and asking for mercy and forgiveness. And the wonderful thing about Jonah chapter 2 is that it shows us that if we do that, then we get saved as well because we're sinking in sin just like Jonah and just like Jonah, we're raised up in repentance by turning back to God and trusting in God. And that's why we have the wonderful passage we had read out for us before, Matthew 12, where we see that we're saved because of Jesus. Repentance and trust in the salvation that Jesus offers, a man who was swallowed for three days and three nights, not by a giant fish, 
but by death itself, swallowed by death to die in our place, so that now when we do repent, when we turn back to God and we ask God for forgiveness and salvation, we can be assured that we will get it. Because as bad as our sin might be, think how bad Jonah's was. This is a prophet of God's, God's special messenger, God's special chosen person, his representative on earth, and yet still Jonah turned his back on God, he fled from God, he refused to do what God wanted and would even face death for it. And so if Jonah can be raised up in repentance, then how much more can we be raised up when we have Jesus who's died in our place? So that's the wonderful picture that Jonah 2 gives us. It shows us that there's hope. There's hope no matter what. Because that's the thing about sin, isn't it? It clings around us and it sucks away our hope. It makes us feel hopeless. It makes us feel like there's no chance, no option, no possibility of salvation. That feels like we'll never escape. And yet what Jonah 2 shows us is that there is hope, even in the clinging grasp of sin. It offers hope to us. It offers hope to those of us who are struggling with anger, who fly off the handle at the slightest inconvenience, yelling and rude at loved ones. I mean, we kind of know we're not meant to, but we can't help it. It's like this white, hot, tidal wave of anger that washes over us out of control and it just comes out. And it's easy to feel like there's no hope. There's no way to beat it. It's not even a conscious thing. And so it can feel so hopeless. It can feel like sin is sucking us down. And yet in the midst of the white hot grasp of anger, when we feel like we're sinking in sin, Jonah too offers hope. It offers hope to those of us who are discontented. We feel that gnawing away of jealousy. We look at what our friends and our family have and we wish it was ours. We feel that insidious grasp of envy coming up, making us wish that we had what someone else has. And again, it can feel so impossible to break out of it. It's just this sickly grasp pulling us down. Yet in the midst of that grasp of jealousy, while we feel like we're sinking in sin, no hope of escape, Jonah too fights that. It offers us hope. It offers hope to those of us who feel like we're sinking into lust. We feel the insidious grasp of porn grabbing around us. Whenever we have a spare moment, that's where we're going. It feels impossible to ever break out of it. it. feels like an impossible monster to fight off. Yet in the midst of feeling like we're sinking in sin, Jonah too offers hope. It offers hope to those of us who are struggling with body image issues. We don't like what we see looking back at us from the mirror and we feel so dirty, we feel like we don't like ourselves. In fact, we feel that self-loathing that comes with it and can feel impossible to break out of it. How do you break out of a fact where you don't like what you see looking back? You're stuck in your body. It can feel like we're sinking into sin, no hope of salvation. And yet in the midst of it, Jonah too offers hope. It offers hope no matter what situation we're in, no matter what sin we feel is impossible to break out of. It offers us hope. It shows us there is hope that no sin can be too tightly grasped around us. If we repent, if we turn to God, then there will be salvation, there will be hope. And that doesn't mean we won't slide back sometimes, doesn't mean that we'll be perfect, but what it does mean is there's hope, hope of forgiveness and hope of victory. 
Hope found not in our hard work or in our effort, but hope found in Jesus. Hope found in Jesus on the cross in the three days and three nights that Jesus spent under the earth in our place. See, Jonah 2 reminds us that we're facing, all facing the same problem. We're all sinking in sin. But more importantly, it reminds us that we all have access to this same solution, the one solution, the only solution that will work, repentance. And so no matter what sin we're sinking into, Jonah 2 offers us hope. I'm going to pray and thank God that there's hope to be found even in the grasp of sin. So let's pray.